0: Uh, uh, Hi
1: everybody, this is Luisa Yates. Uh, Welcome to Beusivut by Checkup Project. Uh, uh, what is Beusivut? In every episode we will address a topic important uh, to youth, exploring electric uh, areas, digging deep to find tools uh, and tricks that our listeners can use. Specifically, we will talk about our identity as Inuit, our communities, and our relationships. We will talk about many hot topics including sex, alcohol, sexually transmitted infections, gender identity and Inuit pride. As Inuit youth, I want to hear what our own people have to say about these things and see what other youth think. We will also have input from people all over Canada and from you, our listeners. So contact us via Checkup Project Facebook page. We want to hear what you have to say. This is Lucy Yates. Welcome to the show. This is Biosy Hi, everybody. Today on Biosy we will talk about sexuality and gender identity. The LGBTQ community are often in the news. Um, they're coming out or not coming out. Uh, we're feeling a wind of change towards more tolerance in the last 20 years. And then I wondered... Where on this is Nunavik? Was it the Inuit way? Doing some research, I came across some things that surprised me. Here today, I have a great group of uh, individuals who are here to help us shed some light on these subjects. I have Olivia Aiki.
2: Hello.
1: RJ Jones. Hello. Sophie. Hi. Alexa. Hi. And Lucy.
3: Hi.
1: Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Also, I will be speaking with Duane morriso Beck, a Métis who struggled with childhood trauma, drug abuse, HIV, and found himself through connecting with community. He will tell us about his life story and about HIV in 2017. So, like I said, there's, uh, there's a lot of change that's happening. And, you know, we often wonder what it's like for uh, this community. In the in our communities in Nunavik, um, oftentimes we live in secluded areas in remote areas, and um, it's easy for community members to feel excluded from the community if they aren't um, if they aren't mainstream. So here today I have R.J. Jones from the Native Youth Sexual Health Network, and R.J. is going to start our discussion and help. Educate us a little bit in the different terms of uh, sexuality and sexual expression. So, RJ, if Uh, you want to introduce yourself a little bit... uh, The floor is yours.
4: Awesome. So my name is Arja Jones. I'm originally from Regina, Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. I'm Soto-Cree First Nations, but I'm currently living on Algonquin Territory in Ottawa. Um, A lot of the work that I do in my free time, but also like part of my job, is to talk about gender and sexuality as well as sexual health and the different like intersections around uh, identity. I identify as someone who is also a trans individual, so... That Meaning, um, I guess a more specific identity would be considered non-binary and that's someone who kind of fits outside of the gender spectrum. Uh, I haven't gone through uh, hormones, but this is something that uh, hormonal transitioning is something that a lot of trans people undergo to kind of achieve different um, gender identity, um, but in regards to talking about like gender and sexuality, I always have to make the distinction that gender identity and sexuality are two different things, and it's often something that people think are the same thing, but it's not, and and it kind of is a bit confusing because the LGBTQ like acronym does encompass people who have different sexualities, but also gender identity. So that's a bit, um, makes it a little more complicated in that sense. Um, but gender identity is more so around your expression and it's kind of an outward thing and how people perceive you, while sexuality is more of a preference. And when I say sexuality, I'm talking about like gays, lesbian, bisexual, asexual. Um, and there's a, a spectrum that exists for um the sexuality when we're talking about that, but also a similar spectrum exists for people who are also transgender and transgender meaning um, people who either don't want to identify as the um, identifies like what they were born at born. Um, with So I, I mean like trans as in um, like, so there's trans men and trans women and those people may have biologically had um, certain parts, but they don't necessarily identify gender with that part. Um, so a lot of the times when I talk about gender, I talk about gender in a way where... Um, it's been very much fueled around like gender roles, uh, especially like through colonization these roles were brought to us through like the Europeans and also English and French and a lot of this does have to do with language. English and French are very gendered languages. And when I look at like indigenous languages specifically around talking about gender, the when we focus around the pronouns aspect of this, Pronouns as in he, she, they, or them, because there are people who use they, them pronouns and also other pronouns like ze and zur. Um Pronouns like within indigenous languages were more like you and me. Um, pronouns within even my language, and I'm Soto, is like you and me as opposed to he, she, Mm -hmm. or they. So it's interesting when I look at pronouns because pronouns is a very big thing when we look at the English language. And also French doesn't really um, have—French especially is a very like masculine and feminine language, so there isn't really like a secondary way of looking at pronouns. So, it is interesting in that sense because um, when I look at certain words within like different languages that are like across the Plains nations, a lot of the ways to like, of course, there are words for like man and woman, but there are also words for people who don't necessarily fall within that spectrum. Mm -hmm. So, it's, I find it's more around gender roles. And also, I can't say any of these words and I don't want to butcher them. So, um, but it's more so about the roles that people play within their own. Own, um within their own communities. And when I think of nomadic communities in around gender and sexuality, um, I feel like if someone was different pre-colonization or someone kind of identified in a different way, it was, it, it doesn't make sense to like disconnect that person from the community, especially if your community is based on being together and surviving together. So there's a lot of things when I think about gender pre-colonization versus now, like the expressions are ex- extremely, extremely different, but a lot of that has to do with language as well. So I like to link a lot of the like gender identities and also lack of knowledge around these things to language, because when you go through like forced assimilation um, within the last like 100 years, especially um, in that time period, um, it was like language extraction and having to learn english or french at a very rapid rate where we weren't able to really comprehend like or at least like retain um this understanding around like fluidity around gender of course like this can be argued i'm sure but um i i really like looking into the history of um, people who are kind of, like, more represented in a fluid way, um, pre-colonization. And I know for, like, Indigenous people, it was in residential schools where, like, this erasure started to happen um, pretty immediately. Because even right when people entered into residential schools, it was by categories of, like, boy and girl, right? So if you're going to into the category of boy and girl, and if you existed outside of the gender binary, and I know there were, like, young people who did that, um then this kind of like erases that identity and also uh like just from stories that i've heard from like people in like um and 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 also like like i said a lot of this has to do with language and kind of like really like tying back into language and the word two spirit um was a word that was coined in the 90s at a conference, I believe, in um, Winnipeg and Manitoba. And it was about, like, um, gay, lesbian, and bisexual, like, Indigenous people coming together to kind of create a word that um, can kind of bring them a space, at least create a space within the community. That's my understanding. I might have butchered the history on that a little bit, but I know there's, like, debate on in terms of where that word came from. Mm but kind of like what I've realized, and also working at the Native U Sexual Health Network, um, even the word LGBTQ tends to represent like people who are um, of diverse sexuality and gender identities. So like that's kind of how I look at the word two spirit and how you know there is a disempowerment of young um, Indigenous people across Canada in regards to gender and sexuality and how they don't often have space in their communities. So the way that I see Two-Spirit is that it should be a word that is like is self-determined based on the individual because I've met people, when they identify as Two-Spirit, it's in relation to gender, and that's kind of how it is for me, is, is like, my fluidity around gender. But also, uh, like, I've seen, like, gay Native men identify as Two-Spirit, and that's what it means to them. And I think in terms of, like, being able to gain space within communities, it's incredibly important that people have that, like, self-determination around that word and what that means for them. So I often say, like, Two-Spirit is something that is specifically for Indigenous people and was coined by Indigenous people and is a way to kind of reclaim themselves back into the like, into, like, their community. And I think that's an incredibly important thing because I have, like, worked with a lot of Indigenous young people who are on the LGBTQ spectrum across Canada in different spaces, um, in, like, rural communities to, like, in cities. And I can tell you that um, the experiences are, it's totally different depending on, I guess, what access to resources you have around gender. Um, But also I find like in smaller communities, it's harder to be like in the LGBTQ spectrum than it is in the city. So I often find that like, you know, I grew up in a city and I think in a lot of ways that was a privilege in being able to express and be open about talking about my sexuality and also my gender expression in ways that I know a lot of my friends who live in like, northern communities don't get the opportunity to do that so i think it's important for me to recognize that i do have a privilege in that sense and i should like use like all of the access i have had to resources and ways to do things like this and to talk about gender and sexuality, to educate other like indigenous people on like the information that I have been able to come across because I know talking about stuff in the LGBTQ sense is like inaccessible for a lot of communities and it's inaccessible for like a number of reasons. Um, But I didn't learn this stuff overnight, and it took me, like, over a year and a couple of years and also feeling comfortable in my own gender identity and also, like, sexuality to be able to really explore these topics and learn about them to educate other people in a way that they understand. So that kind of brings me on to, like, sexuality and sexuality being... Um, more of, like, who you're interested in or not interested in. So sexuality would be, like, the word gay, lesbian, bisexual, and asexual. Um, So, like, gay being, like, men who like men. um, Lesbian being women who like women. Bisexual are usually people who like men and women. Um, I know there's, like, things like pansexual, and pansexual is, like, not really having a preference and liking people. Um, I know again and like of course there's like straight and heterosexual which is liking people of the opposite gender um and what was the other one asexual asexual is a big spectrum and it's hard to kind of narrow down asexuality because asexuality uh can mean somebody who is not attracted to like people sexually but there also is um a spectrum within asexuality because there are other identities that exist within that spectrum as well so, like, I'm thinking of like demisexual, which is in the asexual spectrum, is, is a person who um, is only interested in people once they get emotionally involved with that person and build an emotional connection. Um, so, I think for if we look at sexuality as a one on one, asexuality can be its whole own thing. So, it is like a very vast sexuality. So, for example, like a gray asexual is someone who Um, is not necessarily interested in sex immediately and has to, like, get to know the people that they're going to be involved with. So it is its own spectrum, and I also work at, like, an LGBTQ agency, so there is always... I'm always learning a bunch of... Is that, like, a
1: support support network, or...?
4: uh, It's an agency that exists, and we usually do, like, peer-to-peer counseling, um, and that kind of exists within the agency, but also, like, support groups. So support groups for different... um, different um, groups within the LGBTQ spectrum. Okay. So we have groups that, like, serve trans individuals, and then we have groups that also serve, like, the sexuality aspect, but also, like, the poly aspect of things, too. So poly being, like, polyamory, which is something that people practice currently. Um, what is that? Polyamory and, yeah. and non-monogamy. It's just, like, people who are in relationships with more than one person. Okay.
1: in, like, open relationships, o- basically.
4: It, it's sim- Yeah, similar to open relationships, but it's a little different than open relationship. Because okay. from when I when I hang out with that group, whenever I say open relationship, they say like, okay, open relationship is one thing, but it's different to be in a relationship um, and being committed to like more than one person. Okay. Yeah. And that's also something that a lot of like in young indigenous people don't really get to talk about because right. I know Um, it's seen as a really really bad thing so I I noticed that um, that kind of is a difficult thing to talk about but that also um, that group meets within like the kind space um, which is the agency that I also were the LGBTQ agency I'm talking about Um, and that is a uh, yeah that's a group that also regularly meets in that space and it is something that like like, I, I have a lot of friends who also, like, practice that. But it seems something – it's something that is so foreign to, like, other people to, like, comprehend. Um, but it's actually not that unusual. But that's also kind of, like, within the realm of being outside of, like, a normal um, – I, I know they can't see that I'm doing that hand thing. Right, quote-unquote. Quote-unquote normal way of, like, engaging in a relationship. Right. But it is, like, quite – like, I've been around so many poly couples, so for me it's not an unusual thing. Right.
1: So, so I'm, really, I'm really happy that you're coming in and explaining some of these things. Like I said, you know, a lot of the youth who are living in our remote areas, in our remote communities in Nunavik – don't have a lot of these resources and they and a lot of times they don't know how to access this information. So this is gonna be um a great way for them to look into things. Hopefully um we'll be able to post some of what the links of the support groups Definitely. that you're talking about onto our uh Facebook page. Um also Along with the terms, I know, like you said, a lot of people, it's hard for them to, or I don't want to say they get easily offended, or, you know, it's hard for them to identify necessarily with one specific um, term. Also, in our, in our, uh, in our culture, we also have really traditional masculine roles and really traditional feminine roles. So, like, you know, the man will go out and he will hunt and then the woman will stay home and take care of the children. So, you know, even in our language, there's not necessarily a masculine, feminine kind of vocabulary. There's no he, she is there. There's mm-hmm. not. I I like. I was
0: thinking about that. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, like no, if so- you ask somebody who they are... And, and I and we say, Who are you? Yeah. Who are they?
2: Yeah, not
0: so, who is she. We who don't who is say, he? Who is he?
2: Like, yeah, yeah. who is who, that? Who, who are they? Is, who yeah. are they? We don't say, Who is that boy? Yeah. Who he like? Mm-hmm. Unless we you don't.
0: specifically say.
2: So mm-hmm. we'll say, yeah you have yeah. to put that gender in there it's, yeah it's not it's just who are you
1: mm-hmm. so that's a awesome. being? awesome you know it's we we so never cool. I I I personally My never mom. realized that <laughs> yeah
4: wow. I, I often I was gonna say yeah I always I always, I often wonder because gender seems to be a very tricky thing for a lot of First Nations people to think as a binary but I'm like in First Nations people are, whether they realize it or not, are often defying gender norms all of the time and not even realizing it. I agree. Like inherently with culture. Um so it's not that difficult of a concept. It's more so how do I communicate that in a way that these people will understand with how they learn best? And that's kind of like what I do. Like, for for my work is really, like, how do I communicate these things in ways where, like, my people will understand and adapting to, like, what works best for them. Um, yeah, which is, like, storytelling.
2: Right. Has anybody watched the Two Soft Things and Two Hard Things documentary? I haven't watched no, the whole thing. It's super good. But- and it was, like... It, ta- it it wow. basically what it talks about
1: is how um, our elders in our culture were able to identify um
2: gay and lesbians and just how like like the poly yeah. we were talking about the poly groups and how you know when when other families when the husband Died, you know. They would take care of the other family, and they were committed to that family and that wife, and that was their second wife, and yeah. and they had, you know, it, it. It was normal. It was a survival technique back then, so men had many wives, and yeah. and they also showed
3: the fact that men would have more than one wife is also showed how successful of a hunter they were,
2: mm-hmm.
3: which was a lot of. Um, I would say like a given in in a culture because if you were a great hunter, you were like the top man. It had you nothing to do with money. It had nothing to do with power. It was what you did with the land, how you connected to it. Yeah. Based on skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
1: again, just to elaborate a little bit more on two soft things and two hard things, the way that they explain it is two hard things is obviously two penises, right? Mm-hmm. And then the term two soft things is obviously the term for two vaginas. So lesbian and gay had their own terms according to our elders. So this isn't something that was necessarily not non existent.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So like in a lot of First Nations they identify themselves as two spirited, right?
4: Oh that's more of a modern
1: term. Yeah, more yeah, of a modern, a modern term, term, yeah. But, you know yeah. along the lines to to differentiate di- Differentiate. Differentiate. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. She
2: has the word. I (laughs) with third (laughs) words yesterday. Colonize.
1: (laughs) Not colonize. Colonialism. 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 (laughs) Got it. (laughs) So anyway, you know, when we talk about how um, gender roles and gender identity um, in in a cultural sense, in a traditional sense, you know, it's not something that was necessarily um, unheard of. Like you said, when the time of colonization came along, things changed. Mm-hmm. Right. So now like I'm like I, I always refer back to how a lot of youth are now trying to identify themselves in a modern world. So <coughs> we have our our ancestors. We have our parents, our grandparents, and so on. And then, you know, now we live in a world of modern technology, but still, we're always trying to find this medium. And we're always trying to find a new identity and always trying to re-identify or reinvent ourselves. <coughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> so we're always trying to reinvent ourselves. And then, you know, we there there are these youth who uh, live in these communities and they. They don't have people to talk about and they, I mean, to talk with about their personal issues sometimes. So I think that, you know, for our listeners who are out there, um, it's going to be beneficial for them to know these kind of, Mm -hmm. um, to know this information. So I also have a couple of questions. Thank you, RJ, for giving us the overall kind of outline of how things Um, are but also for the youth who are around our table you know I'm really interested to hear what you guys have to think about RJ and also how you think it must be for the youth who are living in the communities who are struggling so you know I have questions like what do you think um, how elders perceive you know, these youth who are going through these changes or who are struggling? Or do you guys think that the leader should be doing something specific to be opening the floor, to be opening uh, these kind of conversations in safe places? Um, Do you think that there's sufficient support?
3: And if not, what do you think should be done about it? I personally think there is no, like, good to this because of uh, Christianity a lot of uh, really has to do with religion especially in the north um, because they've been taught that if you're not attracted to the opposite sex then there's something wrong with you and that all these different religious terms are really enforced on to people that identify as the other and the thing I find the most is the feeling of rejection You're in a small community. You're isolated. You don't really have many people to turn to, especially when it comes to identity. And because of religion, it really has put a block to communications. Uh, Personally, I've been told, if if you're a lesbian, if you like women, I'm going to disown you as my daughter. And I was like, lucky for you, mother, I'm not a lesbian. I do like the opposite sex. But if I were to be gay, then... I would be like, bye, mom. So at that point, I was like, wow, like imagine other people that have very strict, strict religious parents and they feel stuck. They they don't want to leave. Well, they don't want to be disowned because being disowned is the, I don't know, it's a really disgusting feeling. And just to even have heard that that was an idea in my own family, I was like, wow, if, I guess because uh, religion, it really has put a block to this communication.
0: No. Yeah, I think it's like, like, my cousins know. They know that I like women just as much as I like men. So it's like, they don't care. But if I, like, even my grandparents, they don't really know. I came out to my parents like last year. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't do that if I lived. In a small community. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was in Ivojevic, I didn't tell anyone. Like, I didn't want to. Because, like, that place is... It's a religious zeal, (laughs) if you will. Like, Christianity is, like, so, like, smushed into their head Mm -hmm. that that's all they believe, that nothing else exists out of Christianity. So I'm just like, okay. I'll just go along my way now, do my job, leave. Yeah, That's
2: it. That's so all i going to do. Basically,
1: a lot of the gender roles come from, you know, uh, Christianity oftentimes, yeah. right? So yeah. So it's especially, like you said, coming from smaller communities, it's,
2: it's there. And it's hard. It, it, it's, it's kind hard of to frightening. It
1: is. It's very scary to so be extradited. So many people
2: have left home. Like, I grew up around gay men you know and gay people my mom's friends who had to leave home as as young men they had to leave there was no choice yeah it was
3: also a safety precaution because yeah like, there was a lot of physical abuse when another man found out another man was gay and it it just disgusted them because it's christianity is, yeah
1: exactly against god so so it's Uh, gender roles from religion but we also have gender roles traditionally do you guys think that there's a difference like Masculinity for our culture. Like you said earlier, like, oh, I'm I'm the best hunter in my community. I can provide for so many people. Ooh, I like doing both, so
0: I'm just like, me. (laughs) I'm whatever. Yeah.
2: uh, (laughs) I don't, like, we don't know a lot of stories before pre-contact, eh? We don't know a lot of stories pre-contact. We know stories starting from Hudson's Bay Company. So we don't have a lot of stories unless like somebody
0: like some family like kept those stories going
2: yeah but a lot there's, of it there's there's none gone. there's no history so i'm sure like it it, it they were in survival mode you know yeah. if you're a woman or a man it doesn't matter we need to survive can you provide i think that yeah. was their mindset before all of this <laughs> colonialism and these these practices you Mm -hmm. know so but we don't know these stories we have no idea you're most definitely right
3: and I completely agree with you but because I'm learning about different um indigenous cultures in my education right now um I'm learning a lot not just about the Inuit but the whole indigenous peoples how they place gender roles it was Uh, An economic function everybody had their roles in order for the communities to survive so a man would be the hunter and the woman would stay behind but the woman um, actually did a lot more things than the man because the man had to set his time for hunting which could take a day a week a month it you never know when the man's going to be back with food especially in our culture but uh, the women had a lot more things to do compared to the men. But it wasn't, like, strenuous tasks. It, it was tasks that would allow them to live comfortably.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're a matriarchal, exactly. basically. Exactly. So we culture. never we
3: were never like, oh, you're a man. You can't, you can't be sewing right now. It's like, what if your wife dies? You need to know how to sew, too. And if you're a woman, oh, you're not allowed to hunt. What if my husband dies? I need to know how to hunt. Like, there, mm-hmm. there was always a balance given it was never like strict gender roles which yeah. i'm really understanding now so it's uh but you're definitely right we don't have that much historical um not li- not just literature like historical um oral traditions uh, no
0: is it oral stories oral stories like you know. uh, i just had like a light bulb moment okay <laughs> cuz i'm just like wait hold on like we do we we give children like like a ton of names, right? I have like eight. Right. Yeah.
2: One of and them is a man's matter. name. Yeah, we name one of
0: them is a man's name. I was and my mother told me so that your personality is balanced. So that you're not too much of one thing. <sighs> oh,
3: so oh, that's like cool. like light oh bulb my God. moment. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> I could also like Give you an answer yeah. as to why you feel more like in in between of the
0: yeah like, like it could but like if you want your child to be have like a balanced personality and attitude you give them a whole bunch of names mm-hmm. most of them would be like from their gender and then one would be from the yeah, opposite I'm gender named after
2: my grandfather my little brother's named after my mother's best friend like
1: yeah I never really I, I knew that like, that's a tradition that her culture practices, but I never really kind of knew why. Like, I know it's because they want us to be Xiaomi Sudu, right? Yeah. So, but that totally makes sense, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That, you know, um, to balance your personality or your beauty, right? Yeah. Beauty.
0: So, hmm. Huge light bulb moment. I was like, wait, hold on. I'm named after this guy. <laughs> My sisters, are na- like, they have a name. That's after a guy, too, because, you know, they're women.
4: That's awesome. Can can I share something? Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know if any of you have been to Ottawa, or I know you have. Yeah. (laughs) I was there last week. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But you know Tunga Subunga Inuit? I follow that page. Yeah. They have an elder there. um, And when I just started my job, like, a year ago, and I started doing outreach, Um, It was like my first time really being in an Inuit agency. So when I went into the agency, apparently like they have an elder. Um, They usually does like a lot of the cultural things. And I don't know if they knew I was like trans or anything, but like I set up like my kiosk for my work and I was like going to be at a community event. And then he comes over to me um, and he's like, like I said, kind of like their agency's elder, but kind of goes back and forth. Um, and the first thing he says to me um, is he talks about how he's like, you know, if, like, if you're a man or you're a woman um, and you're in the north and if, you know, if a woman was good at hunting, we wouldn't care if, like, that woman dis- was able to hunt. Mm-hmm. And then he was kind of just talking about the fluidity fluidity around gender roles. And I was just like, this is such a random thing for this man who I just met to just come up to me and start talking about so I think that there are people who exist who have these um, understanding around cultural roles um, and might have a little more information around like the fluidity around gender because I wasn't anticipating that at all um, because like even within my studies um, and I only studied one year really but I do do so much work in um, gender and sexuality and kind of research. Um, it was like my interpretation of, like, a lot of Indigenous people across Canada is that there is so much, like, transphobia and homophobia. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know where that comes from. So for him to, like... The first thing he says to me is to talk about gender roles and the fluidity around that, I was, like, very taken back and very surprised. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was... Amazing.
1: I'm really happy that you're bringing that up because, you know, we we do have really great elders in the community who may be more open to Mm -hmm. these kind of conversations. It's just that these kind of conversations don't happen often enough. So especially for our listeners who are out there, you know, if I encourage you guys to, you know, even if you feel like you're going out on a limb, um Make that first move and go out and try and find somebody who you think might be open to speaking about these kind of things. Because we talk about the lack of resources always, right? But um, there's great social workers in every community, uh, usually, who should be able to help you out with these kind of things. Also, um, elders are like our best resource. And honestly, we have um, a lot of that generation from the residential school era who may be able to know these things or even elders from before then who may be able to speak to you about how it really was before then um thanks for bringing that up and again i'm really encouraging youth out there to make that first um move in having this conversation um we talked about you know how it may be for people like we spoke about homophobia and things like this and what kind of stereotypes do you think are out there in the communities? The only reason why I'm bringing this out is for our listeners to maybe to try and identify with some of these things and to overcome them because a lot of times they feel like they're the only ones who feel this, but if we talk about it, you know, hopefully we'll be able to give some comfort out there. Oh,
2: there's too many stereotypes. Yeah. Like, like we were saying, it's terrifying to walk down the street as... A gay or a lesbian, especially a gay in the North, you know? Yeah. It's like, so sad.
0: Like, I couldn't imagine, like, being some of the gay men that I know that live in small towns. I'm just like, as long as you stay alive, stay, al- like, <sighs> That's the thing. I'm terrified
3: for them. So they're, can they're, you come a little bit closer? Sorry, sorry. You're really far. All the gay men are—they look terrified all the time. They look really depressed and unhappy. And but even if a person didn't know they were gay, you could just sense there there's something missing in them. Yeah, you know it. it. You it's just it's very visible. But a lot of the things that are told is you're going to hell, you're a disgusting person, you're not human. You're there's just so many
2: words put onto you, and then. The more you hear it, the more you feel it. And a lot of the times, like, you know, when they're young, you could see. Yeah. They're going to be gay. They're going to be. But they don't. They, they're they so terrified. They will not even bother to identify their entire life till they're like 20s, you know, till yeah. they finally left. They went to college and they had the chance to experience and really identify with themselves. And then they come back and people are like, what happened? <laughs> what yeah. do you mean I just found myself you know yeah. like, like I just <laughs> had the chance to just go all out and now you can't stop me and I'm coming back home um.
3: even in Inuit culture I learned, I read somewhere from an elder that shamans were both seen as male and women mm-hmm. uh, yeah males and females they they were connected to both spirits Not, I don't remember exactly how but even Inuit saw that we had that we had Gay people and lesbian people. It was completely okay until the missionaries arrived. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> we, I'm wondering.
1: You know, let's say I'm I'm a young person. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling with my either sexual sexual orientation or my uh, gender identity, and I'm I'm scared of coming out. What What would you suggest for these youth to do? Like how? How do you think that they feel and how do you think that um, or even what do you think would be good resources for them in their communities? Can I speak to this as well? Sure, please.
4: Okay. Um,
1: jump in anytime.
4: Okay, and anybody cool. Anybody uh, can jump okay, in perfect. anytime.
1: It's, it's um, like we're open, girls. You got
2: to like jump <laughs> over. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I get this question a lot and especially within my work and as someone who is like indigenous and navigating the LGBTQ spectrum as well. Um, A lot of, or at least there's a couple of things I should clarify around. So we know that um, Indigenous youth are currently the highest right now, and it's especially like Inuit youth, um, youth, who are the highest amongst the suicide rates. Mm. So there isn't a lot of isolated studies, but in my work with um, NISHIN, which is the Native Youth Sexual Health Network, um, and also, just my experiences of talking to Indigenous youth across Canada, um, I've found that um, a lot of what people don't understand is like a lot of the reasons why those rates are so high is because of the intolerance towards LGBTQ people within their communities. Mm-hmm. And often when I see pictures of, like, another youth suicide and I see them so frequently on Facebook that it's almost become a bit of a normal oh thing, my. I can I can see that that person was probably within the LGBTQ spectrum. Um, and I understand, like, what that feeling is in a very, like, I guess a, I guess a small... I can understand in, in a small way, um, but since I didn't grow up in a isolated community um, I feel that I was free to express myself um, in in ways that a lot of young people don't necessarily get the opportunity um, of course there are still issues around experiencing like transphobia and homophobia and both are like extremely different in the sense of like I'm not afraid to be out um, as like a um, queer person um, and I like openly identify as queer in all the spaces that I go into. Um, But I find it's, like, transphobia that tends to be worse within Indigenous communities. Um, And a lot of that, um, it it depends, though, because, like, I find a lot of the times I can pass as a male. So that kind of protects me in a lot of spaces. Um, But I find that, like, you know, I'm looking into the options of, like, hormonally transitioning now. Um, But one of the first questions that was brought up to me uh, was, uh, how do you think, like, community is going to accept you? Um, And that seems to be like, as a trans individual, I didn't think that I could ever get to a point where I would feel comfortable, even in a city, um, to hormonally transition. Because I know that means that there are certain places I will no longer have access to when I go Mm -hmm. through that transition. Um, And that was a big restrictor of mine for a very long time. But I realized that, you know, I've lived 25 years as an Indigenous woman, um, minus like the last two years. Um, but this hormonal transition is something I've been thinking about for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I realized that, you know, I've been living this way for the people around me and not for mm-hmm. myself. And I'm miserable because, you know, I know this is something that I want, but I didn't think that I would actually be able to go through with my choices until I was, like, much older. Um, and it's interesting because, like... This um, scenario that I'm describing is something that a lot of people experience, um, in the sense of like a lot of young people think about these things, or they don't necessarily have resources to be even able to be feel comfortable, um, actually exploring like their gender or their sexuality, which is like incredibly important I find, especially around um, like exploring like one's identity. So I find like. You know, I think the best people to ask this question and the question you're asking is actually ask people who have these experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, you know, as a person who is like going to be navigating like hormonal transition in the future, um, I find like, you know, being able to create a support network outside of your... Um, area is incredibly important and there are websites that exist where people can build communities online and that's what I find especially for like a lot of isolated youth that I know who live in the north I often tell them to like you know go on like for example Tumblr Um, you can create an online community and there are a lot of like LGBTQ indigenous people that you can have access to like having conversations with Um, and that I think like for isolated youth is especially important but also there are like a lot of communities online um, that can potentially help with that because what I've, like, realized is that you, when, when you're engaging in community, like, you never know who's going to be, like, homophobic or transphobic, and it could be the people that you, like, least expect, especially if it's your parents. Um, but it is, like, an unfortunate reality that a lot of young people have to choose between their community and also have to choose between, like, whether they want to live... Um, In a way that will make them happier, which is why there's such high suicide rates, especially for youth, because that's often a choice that they have to make, um, whether they get to be home or, or whether they'll get disowned. And that's like, unfortunately, a reality and a product of like what Christianity has done. Um, So like, the answers to this question looks different depending on your, um, your geography and, and where you are, because I know, like, in the city, Um, it's easier to, like, figure out ways in terms of, like, how to survive if you are, like, LGBTQ. And a lot of that looks like creating a community within the city. So, like, at Kind Space, like, come to Kind Space, which is the LGBTQ organization. But I'm aware that not all cities have these agencies and not all spaces have these agencies. Um, But not all people are, like, equipped um, and emotionally equipped, too, um, to be able to deal with the... Uh, backlash of how community will treat you if you're also um, engaging within these resources, but also um, starting these resources. So since I work in health, and I work in sexual health, so this is like a lot of the conversations we're having um, intersect with sexual health. Like one of the reasons why uh, in in all like a lot of communities, indigenous communities, and especially remote and rural communities... Um, the reason why people don't access resources, um, especially health resources to around sexuality and sexual health, uh, is because of breach of confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that happens in especially, like, Indigenous spaces, even within the city. So if people are breaching confidentiality on a continuous basis, um, it's usually going to be LGBTQ people who are going to feel that first. Because if you disclose that you are, like, LGBTQ to a worker and that worker happens to be, like, a friend of a friend or cousin or, you know, my mom's best friend or something like that, then uh, that's how the community finds out. And then Mm. that further isolates that individual. Um, So it is really, like, difficult when we even try—even trying to create resources in these spaces um, because a lot of the times— uh, how small the community is. Um, how small-minded the community is. Exactly. And it kind of all goes back to that. So, like, we can say, like, oh, like, be yourself and come out, but that's actually not going to be uh, the most safe thing. Mm-hmm. And we have mm-hmm. to prioritize and think of the safety of these people um, and How and make crazy that a priority. You think
2: of the safety, like life-threatening safety for in two thousand seventeen. What mm-hmm. the hell, man? If you love this person, you know I watched the documentary Two Soft Things and Two Hard Things, and Alethea in the movie says, "My best friend that I loved with all my heart couldn't tell me that she was gay," and she's like, "I loved her," and she couldn't. My friend couldn't trust that people who loved her. She couldn't trust that she could tell them, you know? Yeah. Like, ouch, these people are living in fear. And one of my best friends was, like, all over the place. I would push, she was like, bye, gay, let's What's going on, you know? And we didn't get it <laughs> at, the, at the time, you know? Yeah. Like, growing up in the North, you don't talk about that stuff. And it all came out, and the whole community knew, and it was a big joke, and it was, you know, like... A lot of times, too, you know what it is? It's
1: not necessarily about speaking or, you know, self-identifying with a a specific title. It just has to go sometimes with how an individual feels. Do what
3: you need to do, man. I've actually had a few friends come out to me all of a sudden. Uh, It started out as they were being really quiet. And they're like, I have something to tell you. Like, what's up? Like, uh, by the way, like... I'm really into girls or I'm really into guys. And I, I was like, no way. Like, really, I was really proud of them. And my reaction actually set them aback. They're like, what? You're you're not gonna put me down? You're you're not,
4: you're not no. discriminating
3: me. And I'm like, I love you for who you are. If you love a woman, go for it. If you love a man, go for it. I don't care. As long as you are happy in the end. And I think with some reactions like that, it really helps them continue to open up Mm -hmm. and feel more comfortable, but I just really wish more communities were like, yeah man, do what you want to do. (laughs) Another
1: thing too is something that RJ had mentioned, you know how he didn't feel maybe mentally healthy right? Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And you felt like you were walking around with a mask Mm -hmm. and you didn't feel like yourself so this Mm -hmm. is often a reality, a lot of people aren't mentally healthy holding back right? So this is something to take into consideration, especially if somebody is going to be coming out to you. It's it's a healthy move for them, and it's a, a move in the right direction for them, mm-hmm. um, health-wise even, right? So if somebody comes out to you or, like, you know, somebody's thinking about coming out to their parents, but they're scared how they're going to react, but, you know, you want to be their support, and always keep in mind that it's for their own health also. So mm-hmm. uh, we spoke about two heart two soft things, two hard things. And I have the trailer here and I just, I, I don't know if you guys have actually heard about it or seen the documentary. i really heard about it, later.
0: but I haven't seen
1: it. I, I watched the trailer, Olivia has watched the documentary. Have you heard about it yeah. RJ? Yeah. So um, I'm just gonna show you guys here.
4: I've always envisioned a place where people of all ages work together and do not work against any minority group because as Inuit, we have suffered greatly in our land and I'm sh- I was sure that we would not want to inflict suffering upon others.
0: You it went through a very sudden and drastic transitional period in the 1950s and 60s uh, with colonization. We
4: were drilled. There was a process of trying to assimilate us into becoming something other than what we were.
0: And with that transition came a lot of um, shame. Uh, people were made to feel less than and unimportant. Isolation and lo- losing
3: community is are so- sentiments that LGBTQ have throughout their life
0: anyway and double that with c- loss of cultural identity. It's extremely difficult and painful I think for a lot of people. I have people in my life that I love very much uh, who are gay <laughs> and could never tell anybody.
4: I knew that if I didn't leave, I was gonna die there. I chose to be homeless in Ottawa opposed to going back home because I just felt like it was the only way that I would be able to survive.
0: One of the things we kept hearing from politicians was the elders don't like this. Uh, This is something that has come up from the South. There's never been homosexuality in Nunavut. This is something brand new. There
4: is a hidden history there around uh, familial relations, sexuality, uh, and ways of being in in Inuit society that aren't being necessarily spoken about openly.
0: There's actually words for uh, gay and lesbian um, that elders have shared. Like the translation was lesbian was two soft things rubbing against each other and then the men was two hard things rubbing against each other.
1: So we talk about, you know, acceptance and things like that. And we talk about how close Indigenous people are. And especially how close it's, it is in Nunavik, for example. Like, mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody.
0: Oh
1: everybody has a cousin somewhere. And everybody probably knows somebody gay. Mm-hmm. Or lesbian. Or bisexual. Or transgender. And, you know, we talk about, hey, cousin... <laughs> hot day <date. laughs> so so what do you guys think
3: about uh the trailer I just showed you guys? Definitely gonna watch it later tonight. I've always been interested in learning more about the other side of sexuality be I I personally do not feel lesbian at all like I'm attracted to w- women but not in a way I feel aroused or touched. I'm more like look at her beauty, look at her Gorgeous. power. Exactly, like you you can adore women without having the need for them. For me, that's me. I'm just like I I love women. Period. We're powerful. We're amazing. We're we're caregivers. We're everything. But uh, overall, it's like it's the other side that you also need to understand in order to understand yourself as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It's. Uh, goes both ways.
0: I want to see that movie now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do we have time to see it later? (laughs) (laughs) Um, We brought it up at the Hapchoo Youth Council Annual General Meeting. It was like an evening activity. We were kind of disappointed in the turnout, but... um, Um the youth that were there said it. it is a topic that needs to be brought up. And a few of them said they know somebody who's LGBTQ. And, you know, they said, yeah, it, it needs to be brought up now it, yeah. in our communities. You know, it's nothing that was ever talked about. And, like, everybody moved. Everybody who was LGBTQ left the North. And now they're all coming back. And they're, they're slowly getting accepted. But it's hard for them, you know. They they face a few punches they face a few of those and then they're like oh you're human you didn't give up mm-hmm. good and then they become your friend you know like they didn't have to go through all of that to prove mm-hmm. yeah. to prove anything to you you know you know back in high school we get
3: sex ed talks right And it's all about putting condoms on and what are STIs and stuff. Nothing to do with sexuality. And I feel if the schools up north or any native community, they start talking about that and introducing this concept to the younger children, they'll be like, oh, that could probably
2: explain why I feel like this. And it would really help as well. And that's the fear, right? They Like a lot (laughs) in the north, they say, if you talk about it, it will happen. Mm -hmm. If you talk about suicide, it will happen. If you talk about... Being gay, it will happen. What do you mean? It's already happening. (laughs) Suddenly, like, catch the gay? Like, what do these, what are these people
0: thinking? It's not. If you talk about
2: it, it's going to happen. It is happening, but they can't talk about it.
1: Another thing, too, is they don't realize (laughs) that it's not a choice, right? Right. Like, we talked about it earlier, how it's a feeling, right? A feeling towards uh, another individual sometimes or, you know, uh, another gender in general, even. It's not a choice. So, you know, especially in the communities, let's say if there's somebody who is willing to be open about these kind of things, then open the floor up for discussion, create safe spaces and, you know, invite people. Even if they're identified as straight people, then, you know, it's worth having these conversations Mm -hmm. to normalize it because it's there and it's not going
0: anywhere, right? Like you can't, you can't erase it. So like, get used to it. Yeah. it exists <laughs> too bad for you <laughs> too bad so sad I love,
1: me. I love me. so <laughs> don't yeah.
2: get over yourselves like, yeah, it's, it's
1: like not about
0: people you people that people that like get mad at other people because you know they're gay yeah, it's not about you and I'm like it's you don't matter to them they're
2: not Are you in
4: danger?
0: 100% they're not attracted to you.
2: What are you in danger? You're
0: not in danger. Like, (laughs) if if I go up to someone I'm like, oh, you're pretty. I'm just saying you're pretty. Yeah. Not that I want to get into your (laughs) room. There's a difference
3: between you're pretty and you're pretty. Right? All right. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) So
1: I think we've had a lot of really great opinions here. We've discovered and we've looked into uh, different situations that many of our listeners may be facing. Um, in closing, I'm going to ask RJ, um, if you have any words of wisdom or inspiration or something that you'd like to share with these youth, uh, please do.
4: Um That's a huge... (laughs) That's huge. Just do it. Do it safely. Get condoms, get birth control. Condoms are number one, okay? They're number
0: one. Birth control. Safe for sex always. It's free. It really is. Um,
4: I said there are resources that exist out there. uh, And there are people out there that you can talk to. And there are like great organizations across um, Canada, especially like Native Youth Sexual Native Youth Sexual Health Network. Um, is also like a great group that does work in and around like gender and sexuality. Um, sorry, I was so distracting. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, so distracting. <laughs> Instagram. Yeah, it's just there's lots of resources that exist, and even if it feels. Like isolating and impossible, there are people who are going through these same experiences, and even if you feel alone, uh, there are folks out there um, who exist and who would be like happy to chat more. Um, I know that like for myself, I- I'm always never good at these like conclusion things, but I always tell people if you ever have like concerns or any questions about gender or sexuality, um, I'm on all social media and I'm always open to have conversation. So usually people reach me through Twitter um, and they reach me through Facebook. So if there's any way I can, should I just give my information on the? Yeah,
1: if you're open to it. Oh yeah, no, totally.
4: Uh, So if you want to ask more questions about gender and sexuality, you can uh, contact me um, on Facebook. My name is RJ Jones, and you can contact me on Er on Twitter as well. And my my username there is um, Earthboy underscore underscore. So, in both in both places, I can be reached, and I would be happy to have more conversations about gender and sexuality, um, and I enjoy having these conversations, so feel free to reach out.
1: Perfect. Um, <clears throat> does the Native Youth Sexual Health Network have any online resources as well?
4: Yeah, they have tons. So, if you follow their Facebook page, we often share stuff. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, and all spaces. were really active online, so...
1: And and you guys are always open to discussion, right?
4: Definitely, definitely.
1: Confidentiality?
4: Yes, number one.
1: Perfect. So again, thank you all for being here today. Hopefully some of our listeners out there will be able to um, identify with some of the things that we spoke about today. And um, hopefully you guys will be encouraged to create safe spaces within your communities to have more of these conversations and to um, reach out to people no matter where you're from or how you identify or who you are. So anybody else have anything to say in closing?
3: Learn as an Indigenous person, learn not only to accept yourself before feeling accepted by others, because this is who you are. This is how you feel. And by seeing that and feeling able to share with others, it could really open up your world. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we feel better in our own little shell. But sometimes trying to break it out of it really helps. Thanks it's a lot.
0: It's kind of like our one of the last episodes we had. Like start small. Start with yourself. Mm-hmm. 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 And then spread out if you want to
1: it's been a message that's been said in every podcast and I think it's worth um mentioning in every podcast that uh hashtag lateral love hashtag lateral love and hashtag (laughs) love yourself no matter what right because somebody said yesterday like you have who to rely on for the rest of your life yourself Yourself. that's what you said (laughs) yesterday so I I believe that's 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 definitely a quote to live by so now i'll be speaking with Dwayne Morissette Beck. if you'd like to listen to the full interview, there will be a link on the checkup Project Facebook page to the podcast for the full interview
4: so I grew up in I grew up knowing that I was was different um, that i wasn't I was adopted and i wasn't the, I was not um, who everybody was telling me who I was and I grew up with a very sense of disconnect i disconnected from everything i tried to take on other like take on the family um um uh, culture because i came from ukrainian uh, and i grew up in a ukrainian family and my experiences with my uh ukrainian grandparents were amazing they were super amazing Um, the great food great dance i was very proud of who i was But there was just a piece of me that knew that this wasn't the real, the real story. This wasn't who I was. In fact, even my name wasn't, it wasn't, um, wasn't my name.
1: If you'd like to listen to the full interview, go on the Checkup Project Facebook page and you'll find the link. Let's continue this discussion online on the Checkup Project Facebook page. This week, we want to know, have you seen the documentary Two soft things, two hard things? Did you like it? How do you think we can work to be more acceptant of the members of our communities who are gay, two-spirited, or transgender? Next episode on Piusiwut, we will be talking about being ready for sex, choosing a partner, having one or many partners. Stay awesome and stay tuned. i